Howdy. You're listening to the Texas A&M RUF podcast. Hope you enjoyed the talk. All right, I'm going to be reading from John uh, 21 through 21. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Alright, I'll pray real quick. Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, just for this day, and I thank you for RUF, and just that this is a place where we can come uh, spend time away from schoolwork and stress and just come and uh, worship you and i thank you i just for everyone that came tonight and just that uh it's because there's a lot of stuff that people can be doing on a wednesday night i thank you that they uh chose to be here and i pray that uh they could just find austin's uh sermon tonight uh beneficial uh for them i thank you just for this passage and uh your resurrection and I just pray that we can uh, see that in a new light and just see the uh, beauty and the glory of, uh, of your son rising from the dead. And Lord, I pray for Austin that you could speak through him. Uh, and uh, I also pray for the busy end of the semester that's coming up and that people could uh, just not be stressed and that they could get their work done. And lastly, I pray uh, just for safety for everyone and no uh, 
and just that people wouldn't be anxious with the recent uh, crime in College Station, and I pray that we could all be wise in how we act. Uh, in your name I pray, amen. Awesome. Uh, am I on? Can you hear me? Okay. Uh, thank you, Henry, and uh, howdy, everyone. Uh, look, uh, welcome to RUF. If, if this is your first time walking through the doors of All Face, and this is your first time to RUF, we're really glad you're here. Uh, we really believe this at RUF, that, that you're never so good that you stand outside the need of God's grace, while at the same time, you're never so bad that you stand outside the reach of God's grace. And so we hope that you experience that when you're talking to people here. Uh, and so if you have any questions about the Bible, if you have questions about the resurrection, then please uh, feel free to reach out to me. I, I would love to get coffee with you or to go to lunch with you and get to know you. Uh, so we're really glad you're here. One quick update I do want to share with you all real quick. Um, so one of the churches that is partnered with RUF, Westminster Presbyterian Church, the senior pastor, Wade Coleman, his wife today, Marion Coleman, also uh, mother to Micah Coleman, uh, she fell today at Westminster in the parking lot and, and broke her kneecap, and uh, and she went to the hospital, uh, and now she is home, so they have her on pain medications, but the swelling's pretty bad, and she's in a lot of pain, and they're hoping to have surgery, I think, hopefully in a week, Micah, is that right? Uh, where's Micah? Is he here? Yeah, hopefully in a week, okay. Um, but they're hoping to, to operate quickly so that she can heal and the swelling will go down, so... I'm actually going to pray for her real quick, okay? So would you bow your heads with me? Uh, Father God, we thank you so much for the Coleman's. Uh, Lord, we thank you uh, for Mary Coleman. Lord, we thank you uh, that she loves you and trusts you. Lord, I pray for her knee right now as she is in a lot of pain. Uh, and it is and Her knee is swelling and uh, it hurts. And Lord, I just pray that uh, you would ease the pain. Father, I pray that they would find a doctor and a physician to operate quickly um, so that she can get into the phase of healing and getting back to her feet. Uh, so, Lord, I just pray for her. I pray that you would accomplish a great work through this, knowing that uh, she is your child, she's under your care. And, uh, Lord, I just pray that you give her strength internally right now and physically. Uh, it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Uh, yeah, so please pray for her, and, uh, uh, yeah, we'll keep you updated. So. Um, Again, welcome to RUF. If, you, if you've been with us, we have been walking through our series in the Gospel of John. And um, we've been examining John's, John's claim that he picked these eyewitness accounts and recorded them so that you may believe that Jesus is, is the Christ and that believing in his name, you would have life. And so what we just read, what Henry just read for us, is the source, the key to all real life, Jesus' resurrection from the dead. So like thinking about when this account begins, right? It, it's sometime between 3 and 6 a.m. on a Sunday morning, and for someone like Mary Magdalene, the previous two days have been complete confusion and darkness. Okay, Mary has, has been a follower of Jesus. She's supported his work. And on Friday, just two days earlier, she witnessed him crucified, dead, and buried. Okay, so this is where we are right now in our passage. Right, the one that Mary had placed her hope in didn't appear to win, she appeared to lose. He appeared to lose. The hope of her life and her world had been defeated. And she spent Friday night, Saturday morning, and Sunday morning weeping, hopeless, full of despair. And Mary, in her despair and hopelessness, 
her weeping before she is confronted with the resurrected Jesus is a window into all of us, to all the world without the resurrection. Because death is real. And look, if the bodily resurrection of Jesus is not real tonight, if it did not happen, hear me say this. Let me quote one of my friends. That if it did not happen, that Christianity is nothing more than a nice bedtime story. And bedtime stories are great, right? I love Harry Potter. Like, I love Lord of the Rings. I can't wait to read The Chronicles of Narnia to Henry growing up. I love it. But because they aren't real, right, they make me feel good, but they don't really change anything. Right? We'll still grow old and die. I'll still hurt people with my selfishness, evil and mass shootings and crime. And violence will just continue on and, until I guess the world just burns up. But if the bodily resurrection of Jesus actually happened, then everything changes. So I want us to consider three questions tonight, okay? Three questions about the resurrection of Jesus in this passage. Okay, first, how can I be sure? Who is the first witness of the resurrection? And what does the resurrection mean? Okay, so how, who, and what? Okay, so first, how can I be sure? Also, shout out to Ricky Jones, Brian Sorgan, Fry, men who have gone before me in this passage who have done a great job with this, um, who have been really helpful with the sermon. Um, okay, so first point, how can I be sure, right? I want to say this, right? The bodily resurrection of Jesus is the pivot point of all of history. Okay, it's the foundation of Christianity. If Jesus has not come out of the grave, then nothing else matters in the Gospel of John. Actually, we've wasted every Wednesday night coming to RUF at 8 p.m. <laughs> and Christianity is just one big joke. Really. And I'm sincere about that. Like, really, like, who cares? And why do I say this? Because the Bible says this. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 13 through 14. But if there is no res resurrection from the dead, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is vain. You see, Jesus ultimately doesn't say, come to me because I make you feel good. He doesn't say, come to me because I'm going to fix your problems. Right? If that's the goal of simply feeling good and fixing problems, then there's plenty of places to go right now. Jesus ultimately says, come to me, trust me, because I am truth. I'm the resurrection and the life. Mary, Peter, and John find an empty tomb with nobody. So did the resurrection of Jesus really happen? Do we have reason to believe it? Because the question, if you're, if you're a cynic like me and you've asked this question before, like, how do we know that these stories weren't just made up? Like, if you've, if you've never been convinced of the resurrection of Jesus, you, you really need to bring your doubts and your questions to the Bible tonight. Because now is the time to ask, do I really believe this? Is this really true? Or do you just believe it for the, for the reason that many of you are Texas A&M fans tonight? It was just handed down to you. You grew up with it. Right, so there's three pieces of evidence that I want us to consider of the resurrection that I, that I want you to consider, okay? Under this point of how can I be sure. First is eyewitness testimony, all right? Realize that these stories are not written like a made-up fantasy, okay? They're claiming to be eyewitness accounts. And in verses 4 through 7, give all these details about Peter and John racing to the tomb who got there first, who went in first, what de details they observed. But none of those things add to the anything to the big storyline of the resurrection. Why are those little details included? 
because they are eyewitnesses, eyewitness accounts, eyewitness testimonies. Right? There are four resurrection narratives in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what's amazing is that while each account includes different details of the resurrection, none of these are contrasting details. Each account provides a different camera angle of the same event. Much like when you're in Kyle Stadium and you see an awesome touchdown thrown by, hopefully, I don't know, run, I don't know, maybe not, by the opposing team or something. Uh, And like, you're hoping, you're seeing this review play, but you're seeing it from four different angles of the exact same play unfolding. This is what we find in all four resurrection narratives, all consistent and harmonious um, in their testimony of the same event with a different angle. So which, which amazingly, right, this differing of details in the account of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are not only harmonious, but these also present evidence that the writers of the accounts didn't engage in any collusion in order to fabricate the resurrection account. They each wrote what they saw and they heard. And so here's another piece of evidence, okay? Consider the first eyewitness to the resurrection. And this, is, I think, is fascinating. We'll come back to this. But the first person to meet the resurrected Jesus is Mary Magdalene. And John 20, verses 11 through 18, also in Mark 16, 9. It's a woman. And this is very offensive. Hear me say this. But in the the ancient Near Eastern culture, in the first century, during Jesus' time, they did not recognize or consider women as trustworthy witnesses. Their testimony was actually not allowed in the court of law. Let me be very clear. REO stands very much against that. Right? We, we believe that men and women are created in the image of God, equally valued, and equally trustworthy. Actually, women are probably more trustworthy than men. Um, guys, you would admit that, right? Um, right? Which means that if you wanted to make up a story of the resurrection of Jesus and hope that it gets off the ground during this time period, you would never have the first eyewitness to be a woman. And this is significant for a lot of reasons, namely the testimonial evidence of the resurrection. But I want to point out that even this, even the cultural context that devalues a woman's testimony, God does not. And I think this is actually beautiful. It's almost as if God is saying, mocking the cultural context that time, saying, you know what? <laughs> what you believe is weak and untrustworthy, I'm going to use to testify and discover the most important event in all of world history. He loves Mary Magdalene like a daughter, and he wanted her to be the first to see him. And so thirdly, hang with me, okay? Last piece of evidence. The body of Jesus was really gone. The tomb was empty. There are all kinds of theories that have offered naturalistic explanations for the resurrection, and I want to address three of them, because I think it's important, and I'll explain why at the end. First is known as the conspiracy theory. Right, that the disciples somehow faked the resurrection and stole Jesus' body and then lied about Jesus' appearance and pulled off one of the greatest hoaxes the world has ever seen. But you get to begin to find holes in this argument for several reasons. Because one, it presupposes its claim by looking back in the rearview mirror of a 21st century perspective rather than a 1st century Jew. Right, you see, during that time, no one was expecting a resurrection. Because the disciples viewed the resurrection as a general event that occurred after the end of the world. Okay, so they themselves wouldn't believe it, right? Even when Jesus told them 
that he was going to be suffered, and he was going to die, and he was going to rise on the third day. They rebuked him. They were angry at him. They didn't believe it themselves. And moreover, right, there has to be an explanation for not just a few of them, but for all of them dying for a lie. Like, rarely would you find a person dying for something that they know is not true. Right? When you lie, you lie because you want to get out of trouble, not into trouble. And finally, if the Romans stole the body, okay, this is all about stealing the body, then all they would have to do in order to quell this Jesus movement back in the first century is just to produce the body. And it was never, it never happened. Right, this conspiracy theory, it's, it's held pretty loosely today by scholars. And I want to address another theory, okay? Another popular but loosely held theory is known as the swoon theory. You've probably heard all these theories, but it's important enough to address. If you haven't, then good. Right, it's known as the swoon theory, or the apparent death theory. Right, which claims that Jesus did not really die, he revived in the tomb, somehow escaped, and managed to convince his disciples that he was risen from the dead. But this faces problems when you consider that the Romans were actually professional ex- executioners and made sure that their victims were dead before they were taken down from the cross. It's also implausible because seeing a bleeding half-dead man crawling out of the tomb would have hardly convinced the disciples that he actually rose from the dead. And then finally, the hallucination theory, okay? That claims that the disciples did not really see Jesus, but just imagine that he appeared before them. That they were actually just hallucinating that they saw Jesus. But this also faces considerable problems. Problems. Because first, Jesus resurrected from the grave, appeared not just one time, but many times. And not just to one person, but different persons. And not just to persons, but many different groups at many different places. And so, if, that, if this argument is trying to hold up and, and reliable whatsoever, then it has to be the, there has to be the claim that all these people were hallucinating at different times and different places and to different people. So hear me say this. If these reasons... Uh, so if, this, if these are written like eyewitness accounts, right, with unreliable women as the first witnesses, if the body of Jesus really was gone out, was, came out of the tomb, and if no one was expecting the resurrection, all the disciples ended up dying for it. Yet overnight, people were changed, the church begins, and with 300, within 300 years, overtakes the Roman Empire. Could it not be that the most likely explanation is that Jesus really was resurrected? Newsweek, um, which is no friend of Christianity at all, ran an article in the spring of the early 2000s around Easter. And considering the birth of the church, one of the primary authors for Newsweek wrote this article that concludes that probably the resurrection of Christ must have happened because there's no other historically possible alternate, alternate explanation for the birth of the Christian church than that the early Christians saw the risen Christ. Why do I spend so much time on this? (laughs) Because I want you to have confidence in the reliability of the scriptures. Because the resurrection roots Christianity in real history and says this is real. There's There's actually good reason to believe it. That if a man claimed to be God was crucified and claims that he... or was crucified and claims to have risen from the dead given the circumstances and the evidence... The one thing that you cannot do tonight is be apathetic 
or to be neutral. It means that that even if you're a skeptic tonight, C.S. Lewis is famous liar, lunatic, or lord. You have to have some, some kind of view of Jesus. You either think he was crazy, you think he was a liar, his disciples were liars, or you believe that he's lord. And I say that because if you are unconvinced tonight, that's okay. We're really glad you're here. We want you to come back. Always. And we want to bring your, your doubts and your questions. This is a place for that. But I want this to be an invitation for you tonight. An invitation to consider that the resurrection may be true. And what that actually means for your life if it is. It means that the life Jesus brings is actually real. It changes everything. It unlocks your, your life to real transforming joy. To real lasting hope. To real transforming love that never ends. Because it's rooted in a person who's alive. A relationship with the Lord of this universe who knows you fully and who wants you to be with Him forever. So convinced or unconvinced tonight, that is the how. And I'm inviting you to put on the lens of this resurrecting truth and I want you to consider the who. Who is the first witness Jesus encounters in our passage tonight? I promise my second points will be shorter than, shorter than my first. Okay? Who is the first witness? In verse 1, this lady named Mary Magdalene is the first to show up to the tomb. Okay? She runs to tell the disciples, Peter and John, who then run to investigate, and then they go back home. But not Mary. Mary stays. And I want you to stop and just imagine the weight of this moment for a second. It's quiet in the garden. It's early in the morning. Mary feels the warmth of the sun rising, but her heart has never been colder, and her eyes have never been filled with more tears because the one whom she loves, her Lord, is gone. Yet she turns around, and there's a gardener standing by watching her in her pain. And he asks her, Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And Mary does not recognize who, recognize who this is until he says what? calls her by her name, Mary. Some of you tonight have outstanding intellect. Some of you were valedictorians, salutatorians. Yet you still can't seem to shake a sin pattern in your life. And you're in so much turmoil of trying to know the answer to every single question that you have in your life. Some of you tonight are distracted by your busyness, and it feels like you're having an out-of-body experience every day because you're waking up, and you have a million things to do, and you take a test, and then the next day it's just on repeat, cycle after cycle after cycle, and you're exhausted. And some of you are so tired, and you're just so distracted of being lonely. And some of you, like Mary tonight, need to be still and hear the resurrected Lord who knows you and who loves you and who calls you by name, Mary. See, Mary Magdalene is the first person in all of history to interact with the risen Jesus. Like, who is this lady? Like, why her? And you know what? We don't know a lot about her. 
She's kind of a nobody. But maybe that's the point. Maybe Jesus is always coming to nobodies. Here's what we know about Mary Magdalene. In Luke chapter 8, verse 2, it tells us that Mary Magdalene had seven demons casted out of her by Jesus. And the only other person in the Gospels that we encounter that had multiple demons, it's a guy in Mark 5 who ran around naked, cutting himself, blood-curdling screams, while living isolated in a graveyard. So it's probably safe, a safe guess that Mary had something like that going on when she encountered Jesus. Which means that Mary was no pillar of her community. She wasn't a valedictorian or a salutatorian. She wasn't the president of her sorority. She was not a well-connected, high-achieving engineer. She's an outcast. She's bottom of the barrel society. And Jesus heals her and makes her the first witness to the resurrection. The first deliverer of the news. What does this show us about Jesus, about the salvation his resurrection brings? It comes to people not based off of morality or pedigree or success or intellect or popularity. The resurrected Jesus brings life, salvation by sheer grace alone. And this is why Mary will not leave the tomb. Jesus is everything to her. She has nothing, no life apart from him. So she isn't moving until she finds out what happened to her Lord. When you hear Mary's background, don't you get it? No wonder that she loved him so much. Like, if I received a text from one of you very kind students, and it said, Hey Austin, man, I just, I just really appreciate you being here. And I went ahead and I had some extra money and I just, I just paid off some of your bills. Like, I'd be like, wow, man, Texas A&M students are, are awesome. Um, but you know what I would wonder is like, what bills did you pay off? And if you said like, you know, I paid off your two parking tickets, I'd be like, whoa, that's awesome. And you probably become one of my best friends uh, because my car could get towed a lot here in, in College Station. But... If you said to me, well, actually, no, I didn't pay off your two parking tickets. I actually paid off your, your house mortgage. Like, at that point, I don't know what I would do. Like, you would, you would earn all of my love. Like, you would have all of it. Just gushing love. Um, like, I would never stop loving you. I don't know what I would do. Um, right, but the extent of my joy and my love for you would be proportional to just how big of a debt that you paid for me. Think about that. You see, this is the difference between the disciples and Mary at this point in our passage. The disciples all throughout the Gospels, they just don't get it. <laughs> Anytime Jesus talks about death or talks about their sin, they end up arguing about how they'll never abandon Jesus. Or they end up arguing about who's the greatest. Oh, they love Jesus. They really did. But they really thought that they were actually pretty good, righteous people. Their perceived debt of sin was small. But Mary, Mary loved him. Mary knew that she was helpless, an outcast, ruined by sin. And Jesus came to meet her in that, to love her and to forgive her and to save her. 
So she loved him. She wanted to be near him. Nothing else mattered that morning. She had scars, and Jesus healed her. And she's abiding in him, just wanting to be near him. If you look at your life tonight and conclude, man, I need a lot of mercy. You're actually in an amazing place. Jesus' resurrection is for broken, flawed, weak, and sinful people. Because guess guess what? That's all there is tonight in this room. And your campus minister is the chief of sinners. And the question is, do you believe that? And so lastly, what does the resurrection mean? So we looked at the how, we looked at the who, and lastly, let's look at the what. What does the resurrection mean? It means first that all sadness and wounds will be healed. Did you notice that twice Mary gets asked this question, why are you weeping? Once from the angels in the tomb, but secondly from Jesus, whom she she thinks is a gardener. And I think this is actually pretty amazing, which is really cool to think about, because the world actually began in a garden. Adam and Eve walking with God. And now the new day, Jesus is resurrected, all of history being renewed, and God is in a garden with Mary. But anyway, the question, why are you weeping? It's not scolded. It's a pastoral searching question. Because Mary is right. Mary thinks that Jesus is dead. Mary thinks someone stole the body. And if the resurrection doesn't happen, then sadness is eternal. Death actually wins. Mary was, right, was actually right to weep. And you need to consider this tonight. That if your hope isn't in the resurrection of Jesus, then the sadness will never end. Like, this life is all you have. This broken and dying world is is really all you have. And that means you have two options. You either weep, or you live in denial. You either weep, and you never stop weeping. The resurrection did not happen, then you'll just be overwhelmed. Because this, this really is the best that it will ever get. And you who are seniors tonight, and you're starting to panic because you're leaving friends behind, and you've loved your time here, it might not ever be the same. Actually, it might get a lot worse. So you should weep. And you should be sad. And even if it does get better, and it never ends, like even if life does get a lot better, eventually it's going to. So you should weep. That should be your response. And if your hope is in your, I don't know, your health and your beauty, then you should weep. Because you're going to get old, and you're going to lose your hair, and you're going to, I don't know, you're going to encounter physical health problems you've never encountered before. And death is going to catch up to you. This life is all you have. So you shouldn't stop weeping. Or you'll live in complete denial. You'll be scared of all the sadness, and you'll be cynical, and you'll see people really sad and really weeping. And it'll scare you, so you'll just make jokes all the time. You'll just avoid it. But you certainly won't enter in. And you'll have to try and maximize all of your joy now. All of your joy in college. If this is the best it ever gets, then soak it up. Enjoy it. (laughs) Because if the resurrection didn't happen, this is what you get. But if the resurrection is true, you're weeping now. 
it will one day turn into joy. He will wipe every tear from your face. Do you believe that there's a better day coming? Because if it's not, then weep. Secondly, you're being changed. The resurrection promises. It promises real change in your life. He looks at his disciples, right? Jesus looks at his disciples and says, As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. What does that mean? Well, it's what Jesus refers to with Mary. He's going to ascend into heaven in Acts 1. And Jesus' body will ascend into heaven next to his Father. But Jesus will send his Holy Spirit to all his people. And now one of the ways that people come to know the living Jesus is now actually through you. His people, His body. You see, if you've ever seen a really good movie trailer, they weren't as good as they were back in the early 2000s. I will say that. They're just not as good. But when you see a good movie trailer, you say, man, whenever that comes out, that's where I want to be. I'm going to be there. You and I are to be movie trailers to this world. That when people see Christians and roommates forgiving one another, when they see... You actually submitting to your parents, even when they're acting ugly to you. When you see, when people see you refraining from gossip about that girl who who has it all together, they say, man, something is different about them. They just exude joy. Like they endure pain really well. Like they're very patient. Why are they so merciful? Like wherever they're headed, that's where I want to be. Ricky Jones, um, who was a campus minister at Mississippi State way back in the day, uh, he tells a story of he was meeting with one of his students and they were taking a walk around campus and she looks at him, he could tell she's kind of nervous and she says, hey, like, do, you, do you remember that email that I sent you uh, like a couple of months ago? And Ricky was kind of caught in the moment and totally forgot and was like, uh, yeah, yeah, I do. Um, what ended up happening? And uh, and she said, well, I ended up having the abortion. And he said, ooh, I, I do remember that email. And so they sat down and they began talking. And she ended up saying, look, Ricky, like mixed with a lot of tears, like I know Jesus has forgiven me. I can believe that he could forgive me. But I just don't know that, every, that anyone will ever want me. And Ricky just ended up sharing the gospel and telling her that if you are in Christ, you're actually a new creation. You're no longer enslaved to your sin or your past anymore. You see, Jesus didn't die and rise from the grave to leave us where we are. He did so because He actually wants us. I don't want to be selfish and hurt Alex, my wife, in eight years the same ways that I hurt her now. Like, I mean, there's not a promise that I can be a better husband in the future, then I don't want to go on. But if the resurrection is true, if He is alive, and He has sent His Holy Spirit to help me to bear fruit and to grow, then there's hope. Because He's alive and He can actually change me. And He promises that He will. When you start seeing just how deep your sin goes, you realize that the only kind of God that can really change you, the only kind of God that can help you with your real problems, is a living one. 
a risen Jesus who is still at work today, you're not a slave to your past because Jesus is alive. You can really become a less anxious person because he's alive. And hear me say this. We probably don't need to be measuring our growth in just weeks or months, but probably in years and decades. Am I... Am I a less anxious person than I was when I was a sophomore in high school? Like, am I less rebellious than I was when I was a, a freshman in college and the authority that's been given over my life? Like, am I a less angry driver than I was my junior year of high school? Yeah, I know. I, I'm not either. Yeah, I, that's a work in progress for me. Um, like, am I less of a gossiper than I was two years ago? And lastly, what we'll see is that he wants to be with you forever. Okay, I'm landing the plane here, I promise. Look at these final verses with me. The disciples are quaking in fear. And Jesus shows up. And what does he say? He says, peace be with you. And he shows them his nail-scarred hands, his pierced side. And the disciples are glad. He says, peace be with you. Don't you see? Jesus, where does He go? He goes right back to the disciples. And He shows them His hands and His side. Why? Because those wounds are marks of His love for them. Are marks of grace. The reason Jesus goes to the cross and suffers and dies is to bring peace. To make things right. So that He can actually be with His people. So that He can be with us. Um, I heard a story recently about uh, an adoption of a child. And uh, this little boy, he had grown up in the foster system. And he was 10 years old. But during during his 10 years of life, he was going back and forth between family and family. Just between the foster system. And it was really grueling, and it was really hard. Um, but finally, this couple ended up finally adopting him. And so he went from just being in the, in the foster system to finally being adopted. And it actually started out okay, but eventually the boy started getting very angry and destructive and even violent at times. And after just like an, an exhausting couple of weeks, the parents couldn't figure out what was going on, and their boy was just having an episode, and he was going nuts. And they were looking for him all over the house. And his dad heard him in his room. So his dad rushed up to his bedroom. And he was like, where are you? And then he heard whimpering under the bed. And he looked under the bed with his boy weeping. And he said, why? The dad just crawled underneath the bed with him and said, what are you so scared of? Like, what are you scared of? And the boy finally says, like, when are you going to send me back? Please don't send me back. Please don't send me back. And the dad crawls under the bed with him and puts his arm around him and says, we're never sending you back. You're our son. This is forever. And it was from that moment that the lifelong process of transformation started that night. See, friends, we think Jesus is going to send us back in the midst of all of our doubts and all of our sins. In the midst of our doubt, we feel like hiding under the bed because we think we should be further along. We should, 
be a better Christian than we actually are. Jesus is alive. He has marks in his hands and a pierced side from bearing our penalty of sin, of our doubts. They're evidence of how much he actually wants to be with us. He says, this is forever. See, Jesus can have anything that he wants. He could be anywhere he wants. But he wants to be with you. So he's going to come back one day. And the peace that he's pronounced will finally be realized and forever. Your body, your resurrected body and soul will have no scars. You'll have no more sin, no more doubt. But everywhere you go, there will be one body that always has a scar. Reminding you forever that the reason you have no wounds, no sadness, and no scars is because of the extent of his love for you. And he shows his disciples, look at my side. Look at my, look at my wounds and my scars. They're for you. This is forever. See, the bodily re- resurrection of Jesus means that it's not just a bedtime story fantasy. And actually, if you see it, what it means is that all the bedtime stories are actually true in the resurrection. There really is a boy who lives. There really is someone who defeats evil once and for all by his death and resurrection through the greatest act of love and sacrifice. There really is a beauty that comes and falls in love with us as a beast. And his love changes us into into beauty. There really is a hero that comes and finds us trapped in a tower of sin and releases us and saves us by grace. There really is a prince who who won't quit searching for us And there really is a king who loses everything so that he can be with us. Fairy tales are actually true because they find their truth in the resurrection of Jesus. See, the bodily resurrection of Jesus means that it's not just a bedtime story. Jesus is alive. Do you believe it? That's an invitation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight that there really is a joy that is unending. There really is hope that is lasting. There really is a transforming love that promises to change us. Lord, that is all true because you have died and you have resurrected and you're alive. Tonight, Lord, we need you to to call us by name. We need to hear that tonight. So that we would turn to you. And so that you would send us out into this world. And to love, to show forgiveness, to be gracious. So that we could proclaim the resurrection of you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the Texas A&M RUF podcast. If you're interested in joining us for a large group, we would love to see you at All Faiths Chapel on the north side of campus across from Sabisa at 8 p.m. on Wednesdays. Go ahead and follow at AggieRUF on Instagram for updates about any other events we're putting on. We hope to see you around. Thanks and gig'em.